0: So last week we looked at um, what happened as a result of the wrath of God coming down. Remember we talked in the early part of Romans that uh, the wrath of God is uh, revealed um, on all ungodliness. is revealed on mankind because of sin, because of our separation from God, because of our abandonment of God. And in our verses that we looked at last week and this week, Paul discusses what happens when God's people abandon God to sin, and what we found out is that God abandons them. God abandons them. God abandoned his people. We saw that uh, when God abandons his people last week, we saw that man loses the ability to think Clearly. What should be clear and easy and true becomes difficult and opaque and it becomes um, unrecognizable even because of sin. Sin clouds our judgment. It clouds our mind. It clouds our heart. And unless the Holy Spirit opens the eyes of man and opens their heart, the mind of a person cannot See clearly. Remember the second idea we talked about under the abandonment of God was that man not only loses the ability to think clearly about the things of God, but he he loses the ability to restrain sin. In the garden, the unity between God and man was perfect, and God was this umbrella, this dome holding back. The garden was a, a perfect place where God held back the flood of sin. And Adam chose to walk away from that protection. The only prerequisite for the garden for Adam and Eve was that they keep depending on God. God said, look, just live the easy life and I'll take care of the rest. If there's ever an example that mankind is under this curse called total depravity, this is it. Adam and Eve were given the best of the best in the garden. They were given the simple life. And even in the simple life, mankind couldn't make the decision to follow God. Adam wanted to be like God instead of be under God's protection. So he pulled away. He pulled away from the protection of God, and that included Adam's protection from sin. Which also removed his ability to restrain sin. Which subsequently has affected us all in the same way. We did see last week that this abandonment from God is not a permanent thing. But that God pursues his people. And he will save his people. And he will reconcile his people. He will make right his people. He will give us the ability through the Holy Spirit to fight sin. To be, the, to be the master of sin even. To where the commandments of God are, go from being a burden, something we can't see as something we should do, to not burdensome. God does not abandon us forever. He does not abandon us to our own devices. As a matter of fact, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is faithful to make what was old and rusted and bad and defiled new and clean and bright and polished and beautiful. That beauty comes through the radiance of Jesus Christ alone. That beauty comes through the radiance of our Lord and Savior alone. Not because all of a sudden we're a polished, good, renewed instrument. But because if we look in the reflection of that instrument of God, we don't see ourselves, but we see Jesus. I want you to pray with me this morning. I want to pray because what we're going to face today is we're going to face a look into our own lives. We're going to face a look into the depth of depravity, and it's going to sting Seeing some of these things and understanding what some of these things mean. Because what we find is that even though we are sinners saved by grace. We are still wrought with at times. And we are still affected often by our former nature, our former self, our former depravity. And so we need to recognize what depravity consists of. And we need to understand what commitment it takes to put it to death. Pray with me so that we can be willing to do that this morning. God, I pray right now as we examine what depravity looks like, as we examine what the life of man consists of without Jesus, Lord, would you let it make us eternally grateful, Lord, daily reminded of the grace of God and what it means to us, the mercy of God in holding back punishment that is deserved. The grace of God in giving us a gift that we don't deserve. The love of God in seeking us instead of casting us away. The hope of God in being with Him forever and enjoying His presence in the new Eden. God, I pray that You would just bless this time, bless this service. Would You open our hearts to understand Your Word, to be impacted by Your Word, and then to bring that Word the world. We love you and we praise you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. God gave them up. He gave up on them some of the most ominous words in all of history. It reminds me of times where my kids thought that they were big, right? They were big enough. It's funny because Emily at this point thinks she's big and then if it's something we want her to do that she should be able to do, she said, I'm not a big girl yet. Thank you, Emily. Yeah, no, you're just lazy. Um, but, but the times that my kids have thought they were big and they sought uh, their own dependence, and this happens most often with milk. I don't know why. They're trying to use this big jug of juice or milk, and they're trying to pour it. And you're like, "Let me help you. Let me help you." And and oh, I can do this. You know, Emily again. Her, I'm not trying to pick on her today, but her saying is, "I do it myself. I do it myself." It's big right now. It's a pleasure. It's really a pleasure. So you step back as they've got this big jug of milk and you and you just, sometimes you just got to let it happen, right? Sometimes you just got to let it happen. I'll do it myself. So take the milk. I mean, milk's only like $80 a gallon right now anyway. So you take the milk, they take the milk and they pour it and it goes everywhere and then in an attempt to recover the little bit that got in the glass they knock the glass over and the glass falls to the ground or whatever it may be and you've got this mess. For some reason, it's the, if you have a water spigot in your refrigerator, it's the, same reason, it's the same way with getting water out of the refrigerator. I don't understand how that is not an easy thing to do. Anyway, that's, a, that's my last rant for the day. Don't walk by my refrigerator with sock feet. I'm just letting you know. Um, this is what's happening in our story today, though. God gives up. He's had enough of us saying we can do it ourselves, He's had enough of us making a mess of things, so He gives up on man. What He gives us up to is our own sin and our own devices. This means that not only are we given up to one sin, but we are given up to all sins. Do you understand the difference? We're given up, up to sin. When God gave up on man, when sin entered into the world, He was given up to all sin that ever existed. In the sense that we are affected by that fall. We are affected by this depravity if it if not it's not that necessarily we commit every sin but it's that we are in some way our nature is affected by that he leaves us to our own devices in the garden adam and eve chose independence even though they had no clue of the ramifications just like adam we have this flood of sin that comes into our lives and it wrecks us It wrecks us. It separates us from God. It separates us from other godly people. It depresses us. It leaves us without hope. Theologians call this robust pile of sin total depravity. This is actually what Paul goes on to describe in our passage today. The truth is, and we see it throughout the Bible, and especially in Romans, we're going to see it again, is that we are unable and we are completely inept in and of ourselves. Now the self-help, seeker-friendly gospel would like you to believe that if you work hard enough, that if you pray hard enough, and that if you do good enough, that you can accomplish the will of the Lord. And that you can do just great things for God. That the human spirit is a mighty thing and ready to be harnessed. Ready to be used. So instead of Jesus plus nothing equals everything like it's supposed to be, it's some Jesus, some Holy Spirit, some human spirit, and you've got modern day evangelicalism. Some Jesus some Holy Spirit, some human spirit, and you've got the Western Christian. Paul confirms total depravity later in Romans. Romans 3.10, and I've referenced this verse a lot, but I haven't read it all the way a lot, but Romans 3.10-18 says, none is righteous. And then he's like, he knew that you were going to say, none? And he says, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good. Not one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. If this does not sum up the human condition, if this does not describe total depravity, I don't know what does. Here's what I believe. I believe this because I see it in the Scriptures, and you can choose to read it the same way or not. That's on you. In our depravity, we do not seek God, but we hate God. We hate mankind. And as a general rule, pre-Christ. Now, when I say we, I mean pre-Christ, Because we know, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, His new creation, the old has passed away, behold, the new has come. I say we as mankind in general. We would rather kill God if we could than worship Him. It is either this, these options for man. Either the Holy Spirit lives in us Are we are enemies of God and far off. And Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, goes to great lengths to explain just what the depravity of man looks like. We have two results of man being given up God. The inability to think clearly, we talked about last week. The inability to restrain sin. And then this is the fourth point of this two-part sermon. But this is the third inability that we have because of God giving up on man. So I, I, this is number four for me if you're doing an outline. Since the Lord has given up on man, man is overwhelmed with the flood of depravity. I'm not going to read our text again since Griffin just read that, but we will go through these sins, this evidence of depravity briefly. Um, but in our text today, Paul expounds on the list of what total depravity looked like. All of these categories looks like all of these categories are interrelated in that some are sins against other humans, some are sins against property of humans, or uh so our actions against property and uh, things. And then some are sins uh, against um, those that we love and those that we're close to, but all of them are sins against Against God and the sexual sins we mentioned last week are the really the first category that Paul brings out. They are sins against the body, even though they are often sins against others. They are primarily sins against the body, and so Paul moves on to the next category. Next category: sins against property or others, and that's sort of our subpoint under here. And then I'm calling the last one sins of pride. There are a ton of sins mentioned, so I'm not going to go into great detail, but I will briefly touch on every one of these things that are mentioned. Okay, so if you're writing these down, you might not get enough. You just take little word notes. Don't take full notes, because you're not going to get them all, because I'm going to go through them quickly. The first that is mentioned is unrighteousness. Some translations say wickedness, uh, which is not wrong, but this is literally unrighteousness. This is a composite negative term in the Greek. To make, it, to make the Greek word, what they did was they took the positive for righteousness, which, which is chaos, and they put the negative particle A in front of it. So it's literally A, not, or, uh, not dechaos, righteous, unrighteous. As one author says, since what is right is determined by God, then unrighteousness would be going against all that God determined was right. So it's just the complete opposite, unrighteousness, of what God has determined as right. There's evil. Evil is the word paneria, which is the generic term for just being bad. It is the generic propensity not to seek after all manner of unrighteousness, not only to seek after all manner of unrighteousness, but to relish in unrighteousness. To just seek after bad. Covetousness is the next word. This is the bad part of living in a capitalistic society. I'm pro-capitalism. You know why? Because I think it's brought more people out of poverty It's brought more opportunity to people than any other system the world has ever known. But one of the bad parts of living in a capitalistic society is that there is a propensity or a tendency to be overwhelmed with covetousness. It is the desire to get what others have, even at the expense of of other people. Often, I would say, at the expense of other people. Being willing to use and even lose relationships for advancement. Now, of course, you need to hear me because I just said I was pro-capitalist society. I believe that Christians should be the best at everything that they do. I believe that at least, at a minimum, we should pursue everything that we do to the best of our ability, the Bible says, to the glory of the Lord. Of course I believe, then, that Christians should seek to advance in society. I think Christians should be wealthy. I don't think all Christians should be wealthy, but I think Christians should be wealthy. Because if it's a godly person, then they're going to use the gifts that God has given them to help advance the kingdom of God. I don't think wealth is for everybody. I think we should advance. But you must remember this. God will not promote or condone advancement at the cost of others. Or, more importantly even than that, because it sort of encompasses that, at the cost of personal holiness. If you have to sin or connive or sneak or be one of these other characteristics that we're going to talk about down here, your way to the top, then it wasn't a blessing of God that got you there. It was the work of hands, of man's hands, which is ultimately worthless. Covetousness. It's the willingness to go at any length, at any measure, to pass somebody up or to get what someone else has. Malice. It's mentioned twice, and I'll talk about both of them. Malice or maliciousness. This is not just a willingness to sin but an enjoyment of it, a relishing in it, a joy from it. And here's the deal with this. No one in here is going, woohoo, look at my sin. It's awesome. All right, let's celebrate sin. Let's have a worship service. And in the worship service, we're just going to sing songs to sin. No one's doing it in that manner. But friends, I will tell you, when you hold on to sin like little idols, when sin is g- little golden calves in our lives, that is a celebration of sin. Do you want to know one way we know that we're not celebrating sin? Because if are, uh, one way to know that we're not celebrating sin is that we are actively pursuing the mortification of sin. We're actively pursuing the death of sin. If we're not pursuing the death of sin, then in some way... Whether big or small, we are celebrating that sin. Malice is not just sinning, it's relishing in that. It's really, you might think this is a stretch, but it's really the same mindset of a serial killer. You've heard, you may have heard interviews with serial killers. I've heard a few have heard James Dobson's interviews with Jeffrey Dahmer, and there is remorse there. With Dahmer at least, supposedly he was converted and became a Christian. But often serial killers talk about the rush and the high and the joy they had. They strictly did it for the joy. Malice. Abusing other people with your words. Whether it be a spouse or children, family or friends. Abusing other people with your words. Trying to control them with your words. And relishing in that. Feeling that surge of energy that comes with that. That power that comes with that. This is malice. A person who gets his joy from hurting other people is a malicious person. Envy. Envy is connected to greed in the sense that it is one of greed's motivations. Being discontent because someone has more than you. That's envy. Now, I know that some of you might think that I hit on this a little bit too much, but it's okay. When you get up here, you can correct me on it. Envy is at the heart of the social justice gospel. The gospel, the social, the gospel says we should help the poor by giving of ourselves, our finances, and our time and our energy. The gospel says we should willingly sacrifice to others. The social gospel says we should feel guilty for what we have and not only work to elevate others, but work to degrade ourselves. The social gospel is driven by envy because it focuses not on what we have in Christ, but what we lack in the world. Envy is almost naturally the characteristic of people who are discontent in Christ. Envy is the characteristic of the people who look at what the world has and question God as to why He has not given or He has not taken away even those things that they want or don't want. And envy most naturally leads to the next characteristic, and that is murder. The Greek words are similar. Um, Murder is thanu, and envy is thanos. Envy is thanos. If you could put a percentage on this, envy is likely the cause of most murders that occur. I truly believe it. Someone sees a nice car, they hijack that person because they want that car or they want money to get up to a certain level, they kill that person. Envy is the cause of that murder. Someone sees something that someone else has and they are upset that they can't have it or will never have it or couldn't have it even if they wanted it, they kill that person. Envy is the cause of that murder. Someone is jealous, someone is discontent, someone is covetous, covetous, They want something that someone else has, and they hate them in their heart, and it's the cause of that murder. In the commentary I used to prepare for this, the the commentator told the story of Aristides the Just. He was a great man, and he earned his name, but he was put on trial by the people of Athens for nothing, essentially. They elected to murder him. And when asked why they chose murder or if, he had ever harmed, if they were ever harmed by Aristides, all the people that were asked, they said no. And one was bold enough to say no, but we were just tired of hearing the praises of Aristides the just. Envy and murder are interrelated because you often don't have one without the other. You often don't have murder without envy. And often envy leads to, even if it's just in your heart, murdering others. Strife. The root word of strife is the word that means debate. This is the person who can never leave well enough alone. Who needs to get the last word. Now I feel convicted about that. I feel personally attacked by that actually. Someone who is always contentious. Even bickering and arguing just to argue. A person of strife always needs to be right at whatever cost. And is typically more willing to be right than to show love. Strife is a person who debates, who needs to be right at the cost of any relationship. At the cost of any friendship. At the cost of generic kindness and goodness. Deceit. I think we all know what this means, but it can come in personal relationships and business practices and many other ways. Malicious. This is the part of the list I finished off. I already discussed in the first part. uh, Malicious, malice, maliciousness. um, Where the other malice is referred to as a type of premeditated evil, this one refers to habitual or when bad habits become customary when bad habits become more prevalent in your life than good habits now there's another category i want to look at today and we'll sort of blow through these like we did the first one if i were going to take this category and title it um, i would title it the sins of pride these are more often sins committed against god as a result of man's independence and need for autonomy and rejection. Of the care of God. The sins of pride. That's the second list. The first one is gossip. Gossips. It's a unique word. It's actually onomatopoeia. In the Greek. Like hiss or, or bang. The word is. Physouristos. And if you say it. Kind of silently. Physouristos. It sounds like you're actually. Having a whispering. Sort of conversation. Therefore it's Translated. Whispering, which if you you understand that most gossiping is done in a private manner, if not a whispering behind someone's back. And these whisperings that are shared in secret may seem harmless. They may seem harmless because you're not actually talking to that person to their face. You're not actually acting upon it. But I will tell you, as I've seen it in my own life, as I've seen it in the life of the church, our words affect the mentality of people more than, we give them cre- more than we give it credit for. This is not just gossip. This is general negativity. I have seen it just like that. Here's the deal. Oftentimes in my life, I call myself a realist because I'm just willing to point out both good and bad. You know the problem with a realist? They end up being really more of a closet pessimist than anything. Because they point out so much negative, so much critique, and so much criticism. You need, if you're a realist, quote unquote, you need to look at how people respond to you when you're, being, when you're just being real. Because some people, it's a a novel thought. Some people give other people a chance. I know that's a novel thought to some of us in here. Some people give other people an opportunity to prove themselves. You know what you do when you open your mouth to gossip or when you open your mouth to these things? You eliminate, you eliminate Drew's chance to have a relationship with Tony. Because you talk to Tony about Drew. You've eliminated the opportunity for Tony to form his own opinion about Drew because you have injected your opinion into Tony's mind. The reason gossip is so bad is because it promotes negativity at the forefront as opposed to renewal and gospel positivity. When we promote negativity, the result as a whole will be a bunch of sour people. This is why gossip can ruin a church, it can ruin teams, it can ruin organizations. And you've all seen it. You might not know where the root has come, or where the root has come from, but you've seen it. Whisperings. Another one that's closely related to gossip, but not as the same, is slander. Slander is different because it's open verbal abuse about someone. Public speech meant to defame. Slander is often made up of lies about a person, but I need you to hear this, especially when you're thinking about what you're going to post on social media for the rest of the week. Slander is also bashing someone if it's true, if the sole purpose of your, of your message is to publicly defame. Do you understand that? Slander is taking truth and using it to publicly defla- defame, publicly degrade. Slander is, more often than not, the result of one of those realist type people like I am. The people who are willing to say it to their face. I will tell you one thing that I've struggled with, mainly in joking, and I pray that this is not something that you struggle with, and if it's something that you struggle with, I hope you repent and move towards something different. But I joke often in a public setting about my wife in a negative way. Not often, but with people I feel closest with, it happens. And so I will say something, I will make a joke about the cleanliness of a bathroom or uh, clothes being in certain spots or not being in certain spots. Can I tell you, friends, that on the base of that, it is slander. And the best thing that you can do as a husband or the best thing that you can do as a wife is keep those thoughts to yourself. Keep those thoughts to yourself. If you're a person who likes to be justified, if you're a person who likes to be, find retribution, it's not helpful. You know, if you really think it's something that deserves vengeance, let the Lord get it. I mean, you're probably wrong, if especially if it's about something small at the house. But if you think it deserves vengeance, let the Lord get it. Don't work towards that. That's not, that's not for you to determine. But especially publicly, You want to know how to destroy relationships, friendships, marriages, whatever? Consistently make your spouse look bad in public. Anna and I had this conversation last night on the way home, kind of this conversation. I'm not going to lie for my wife, but I will not reveal truth for my wife in order to save her in, po- in a public setting. Right. I will just not talk about something. Right. Just because it's true doesn't necessarily make it a conversation worthy of public ears. And my wife will do the same for me. Nobody needs to know all of your business all of the time. Right. And especially if the only thing you can say about your spouse or those that you're in a relationship is negative. And I will just point out that if all we can say about our spouse are those that we're in our relationships with is negative regularly, the problem is you and not them. The problem is you and not them. So, as John Christ would say, you need to check your heart. Y'all know who John Christ is? Slanderers. God-haters is the next one. We don't need much explanation for this one, but it goes back uh, to what I've said about the culture wars. People who don't like Christianity aren't just wanting to silence Christianity. They're not just wanting to silence God. They're not okay if Christians have their little spot over here. As you can see by uh, what Robert Francis O'Rourke, uh, or what O'Rourke said in his latest debate. They're not happy. That's Beto, by the way. They're not, happy with, they're not happy with you having your Christianity over here. They're not happy with the church being separate from the state. The state has to interject itself in the church. Because the ultimate goal of someone who is a God-hater is not to see that God is silenced or controlled, but it's to see that God is dead. And all those who follow Him die away with Him. It isn't that they don't like the commands of God, but that they hate the God who gives them and all that He represents. And the person out of the umbrella of God For a person who doesn't know the Lord, holiness is an affront to autonomy and freedom. Holiness is like getting offered fruits and vegetables after you've just eaten your weight in food at um, the Chinese buffet. Even though you know it's good and you see that it's right, there's no room for it. Even though you know it's healthy and will help you, there's no room for it for the person who's a God-hater. Insolent is translated as hubris. This is the pride that pits man against God. The waving your fist in the air at God. How could you? Why would you? Who do you think you are, God? Insolent is seen when the abortion doctor kills without remorse or without regard. When the evolutionist says, I know how the earth was created. And it doesn't have anything to do with this God or a higher power. Anyone at any time when we think we know more than God. Haughty. This is having a high opinion of yourself as compared to others. Thinking you are better or not associating with people because they are not like you. Haughtiness, like gossip, is a church killer because when a person is haughty he takes on the role of god deciding who deserves love and grace who deserves kindness and friendship i will tell you not to give too much away but my wife and i were struggling with this not too long ago we were comparing people and we were talking we were singing the praises of this one group of people and we were Talking, not badly, not poorly, but just discussing something off about this other group of people. And we tried to diagnose what was going on and the conclusion that we came to, the only difference that we came to between these two people was the way that they looked. We could not find a difference in character. We could not find a difference in behavior. It was the way they looked. Haughtiness is taking the way a person looks or if they act just a little bit differently than you and saying this is the measure with which I am going to use to decide or determine whether I love them or whether I care for them or whether I have time for them. Haughtiness is a church killer. It's a friendship killer. It's a relationship killer because it assumes that your way of thinking is the only way of thinking and that should be the measure for you and for everyone else which is different than boastfulness again boastful needs little uh, explanation and I'm a little hurt by this one too I feel personally attacked but I have to watch myself because often I will have a conversation with myself with someone about myself and I won't remember or understand that that was all that the conversation was about and then we'll say bye and I'll be like oh my as a matter of fact I had a conversation with somebody uh last week or the week before last and and i realized that the conversation was about us with a lot of me and a little about them and then we i ended the conversation quickly because my mind was preoccupied with something else and i walked away and then i texted them later that day and said look you know what that i realize i might need to apologize because that conversation we just had was primarily about me and i'm sorry I want you to know that I care about what you have to say, and I would love to talk to you more later. My mind was preoccupied, whatever, whatever, whatever. The boastful person puts his self first. He puts his self first, and he's the type of person and I, man, I have to fight this all the time. He's the type of person that, instead of having a conversation for people, is, with people, is just waiting for his opportunity to respond. You know what, though? Complaining is a form of boasting. Complaining is a form of boasting because when we complain, we consume conversations with ourselves in an attempt to brag about how bad we have it. It is bragging. Complaining is bragging about how bad we have it. And then when we tell somebody how bad we have it and they say, "Um, oh, you know, I'm sorry, let me pray for you. You're like, but wait a minute. You don't, I don't think you're understanding the gravity of how bad it is for me. It's a form of boasting because it's saying to everyone else, your problems and your issues and your struggles aren't nearly on the same level as mine. Look at how I have it. Look at me. You know, prideful, haughty boasting is not the only boasting. You know, something that is the next one is the next, cat, uh, next part of the category or the next part of the list is something that. Um, I probably would not have recognized up until recently, or maybe it's with maturity, or maybe it's the way our culture is going, but inventors of evil. Inventors of evil. I think it's likely more uh, with the way our culture is going, but inventors of evil. It seems like every time I go to social media or turn on the TV, um, there is a new form or a new way of sinning. You know, there are there are um, action groups and social groups for men who love boys. Thinking, inventors of evil. I will tell you, and you need to recognize this, that pedophilia will be the next thing that is seen as a... As a, as a, it's, a it's going to be the next thing as a part of the LBTQYZ Dot, dot, dot. It will be the next thing that is promoted. It will be the next thing that is, that, is, that is excused. And it will not stop from there. It's not just that man is bent on sinning, but that we, in our depravity, try to find new ways to sin every day. Disobedient to parents. This may seem out of place. But there's nothing more important to a stable society than a stable home. Tests and statistics have proven this over and over and over again. And this is why obedience to parents is at the forefront of holiness. It is the command with the promise. Obey your parents that, you, that it may go well with you and that your life on this earth will be long. You know one thing that I've observed about Christian people, and you need to hear exactly how I say this because it's worded with very intentionally, the most godly people I know either have great relationships with their parents or they, are, or they, meaning those godly people, are not the catalyst for why their relationship is broken down. Let me repeat that just so you didn't hear. The most godly people I know have a great relationship with their parents or the godly person is not the responsible person, responsible party, or the catalyst for why that relationship is broken down. The most godly people I know still honor and respect their parents, even if their parents have not earned or they do not deserve that respect. Loving and respecting our parents, even when they aren't lovable, is a sure step to breaking the pattern of sin in our life. I want to lump the last four of these together for the sake of time. Um, But also my assumption is, is that these categories are a summation of the general reasons Why the rest of the sins continue and persist in a person's life. The last four are as follows. Foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. Foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. Foolish means without understanding. This is not a stupid person, but a person without the understanding of the things of God. He can be super wise in the things of the world. As a matter of fact, so wise in the things of the world that he is blinded to the things of God. Faithless. The word for faithless here is not built on the Greek word pistos, which is faith in God, but it's built more on the idea of breaking a plan or breaking a promise. The word faithless means here means a person who is not trustworthy, who cannot keep their commitment to other people, especially to God. Heartless. This is self explain excuse me self explanatory. The word means without natural affection. The most natural affection that I know is the love of a mother and a father for a child. And the most vile thing that our culture does is mothers murdering their children and fathers abandoning those children that are born. And they are two of the most prevalent sins in our culture. It is heartless. Heartless, ruthless. Ruthless means without mercy. If you don't go with the tide of the culture, you can expect to be ruthlessly destroyed or defamed. There is a concern, uh, excuse me, there is a concerning lack of forgiveness in our culture. I posted yesterday on the uh, Memphis Tiger website. There were, our quarterback is not very great for our football team, he's not very great he 's good, but he's not great he'll do some excellent things sometimes, and then the next th- time he'll you will wonder what are, why are you that dumb you know you 'll literally think that what happened to you to make you this way he 's not that great but people but people get on this website and they start talking about his mama and his daddy and his family and they start talking about how horrible he is, and they wish he would die and we had another quarterback and blah 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 and i'm thinking i'm thinking what kind of a ruthless person are you that you would take the level, you would take your level of depravity to the result of a game determining the value and worth in somebody's life. So I got on there and I posted it. I said, some of you need to look in the mirror a little bit. Some of you need to understand that the way you talk about this young guy is not helpful he is what we have as a quarterback, number one, but it makes you a really bad person. And I said, if, you ever, if, if I was a parent of an athlete and I ever saw you in the streets and knew you talked about my kid that way, I can promise you I would knock a tooth out. And none of you would be willing to listen to the same conversation about your own children. We the internet age and politics, it has made us ruthless. It's made us ruthless. There is no empathy online. There is no empathy in politics. You know what ruthless is? Ruthless is looking at I'm not talking about Brett Kavanaugh here, by the way. It just happens more than you would believe. Ruthless is looking at the past of a person. When did the small things that they did as a 13 or a 14 or a 15 year old, the small things that they did and, and searching through their life in order to destroy using their past in order to destroy them in their present. I think I told you about the story of the guy that kind of followed me at my last church. You know, he used the things of my past and how I was just Awful. Really, I don't know what other words to describe it. You know, in sports and how I was kicked out of a church league softball game when I was 16 and, and maybe more before that. And we don't want to get into that. We don't want to get into that. But this, this same guy pulled me out after I think I've told you all this. He pulled me out after church gathering one time. He was mad at me and he said, I'm the type of guy that could whoop your A right now and sit back in a Sunday morning service and not think anything about it. And I was like, well, I don't, I genuinely don't doubt that. You didn't have to tell me that. I, I believed that before you said that. Ruthlessness is never show, being able to show grace, always allowing the past to determine how you feel about somebody in the future or the present, even though their life is completely different than it was back then. Again, I'm not trying to sound overtly political, but this is why reparations are sin. Because reparations are the ruthless, belief, the ruthless belief that just because something happened in the past, something must be rectified for in the far future with someone who never has had anything to do with that. It's ruthless because someone in this present time doesn't have anything to do with what happened in the past. It's ungospel like The worst part of depravity can be summed up in our last Verses and will be done. Depraved people recognize right and wrong. This is what verse 32 says. Depraved people recognize right and wrong, but they still do wrong. Depraved people approve of others who do the same. So, what are our takeaways? Here's our takeaway we can't sin just a little without impeding Godward progress. All sin matters. They aren't, there aren't inches to give away. We can't give up any ground when it comes to our faith. The problem is, friends, if we settle for a little sin, then like Adam, we fall for it all. I watched a video of these guys one time pushing a car up a hill. And they thought, it might have been a joke, I don't know. It seemed like sort of like a Benny Hill type thing. I don't, most of you don't know who that is, but that's fine. He, they were pushing this car up the hill, and they got up to the hill, and they wiped their brow, and they thought they were top of the hill, but there was no driver in the car. It was just these guys pushing the car up the top of the hill. They got to the hill, and they rested. And as soon as they had some break at the top of the hill, the car goes rolling straight back down the hill that they just pushed it up. Just when they thought they'd arrived, they stopped, they slowed down. Friends, this is what allowing just a little bit of sin in our life does. Often we think we can stop our pursuit of the Lord momentarily. We can pick it back up where we left off. We think, "Well, I'm 90% good. So this one TV show or this one image on the internet, it's not going to affect me. Allowing myself to gossip just this one time. I never gossip anyway. Just this time I never gossip." Or 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 allowing myself to slip in progress. sin knocks us off our upward momentum and it gets us on the snowball rolling downhill the snowball of sin rolling downhill obviously we will not always be perfect but there's a difference between intentionally regressing and slipping up as we regress as we progress excuse me which i think is one way we can tell that we are progressing in sanctification in general when we sin and it's more of a slip up or more of an anomaly We are progressing in sanctification, typically. Or if it's just more of a norm or an intentional regression, we are not progressing in becoming more like Jesus. Friends, we have no room to slip as sin concerns. You may have heard the saying, shoot for the moon, and even if you miss, you will land among the stars. Well, that's a dumb saying. But the idea is not far off when it comes to our personal holiness. If we aim low in personal holiness, we might always hit the target, but more often than not, we will settle and we will sin. If we aim high, we will likely hit the target much less, but we will also not settle for the same sins. No professional athlete says, dreams about being a coach pitch all-star. No professional athlete dreams about being a high school football player. You know what professional athletes say every time? This is what I dreamed of. I dreamed of the NFL. I dreamed of the MLB. I dreamed of the NBA. I dreamed of being a professional tennis player. Because when you set your goals high, when you aim high, you may not accomplish your goal every time, but you might land amongst some stars. He's not saying be perfect. Paul said, look, I'm not perfect, but I'm not going to stop pursuing anything less. I I press on toward the mark which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. It isn't foolishness to pursue perfection, even though it's out of reach in this life. It is foolishness to look at all that God has given us, all the, the gifts and all the talents and all the things he has given us, and settle for anything less than the best. We can't sin a little bit without impeding Godward progress. I want to say this last thing. and This is the second idea behind this. Te- this is the second takeaway that you have today. Church, your friends don't need another friend that looks like them. Your friends don't need another friend that looks like them. Listen, I'm all for incarnational ministry. I'm all for... Being Jesus to our friends, but also meeting them where they are. I'm all for that. Your friends don't need someone who looks like them. They don't need another unrighteous person. They've seen enough of that in the comment section on Facebook. They don't need another evil person. They don't need someone who envies, someone who's malicious, someone who covets. They don't need a gossip They don't need someone who loves sin, someone who slanders, someone who's insolent, someone who hates. You know what they need? They need an example of what it's like to be different in this world. Friends, you need to hear me, and it might not happen this year, it might not happen five years from now, it might not happen ten years from now, but it's going to happen. This culture that we're in right now, just like the sexual revolution of the 60s, is there one day, there's going to be countless people who are going to realize that it's bankrupt, It's bankrupt. And they're going to come looking for people who are different than what they see as bankrupt. It may gain a lot of people right now for your churches, for our churches in DeSoto County, in this state, this country, to be relative and fun and neat and exciting. But I can tell you what, when someone realizes that the culture is bankrupt, they're not going to come looking for someone who's relevant and fun. They're going to be looking for someone who is different and who points them to Jesus. Friends, the truth is and the hope is that you can flee depravity through, the, through Jesus Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit. You can grow. You are a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. And because of Jesus, we are back under that protection if in a temporary way until He returns. We're back under that protection that God gives. Would you surrender to Him? Would you trust Him? Would you follow Him so that the world may know Him and that you may grow in Him? Pray with me today. God, You're good. You're holy. We trust You and we love You. We honor You, Lord, with our words, with our deeds. Would You be honored by our lives? Would You help us to step into other people's lives as something that's different? Yes, help us to relate with them. Help us to understand them. But help us to also make the gospel the most prevailing thing about our relationship. God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for your son. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.